reminding us that God can handle what you're facing and will be facing. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. If God is able, if nothing is impossible for God, then whatever you face next week, next month, next year, God can handle. He's been setting up history for 4,000 years. There are no coincidences in a believer's life. There are only God incidences. Well, pastor, they're not all good. They don't look all good at first, but later, we'll thank him for it. Even the hard times make us strong. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your love. History, it's been said, is his story. And what a comfort to know it's God who is the author of history, and even your history. But the world is so out of control. While that's true, it's not beyond God's plan and purpose, as we'll learn today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We continue today in the book of Hebrews, and in chapter 7, we're introduced to a mysterious but historical person. The history of this person will demonstrate God's mastery over the ages. Beginning by reading this fascinating scripture, there's Pastor Ed. Here we are, Hebrews 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave you tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood bringing changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arrives another priest, who has come not according to the law, 
of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of the weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So we're looking at one of the more difficult books, some say the most difficult book in the New Testament, if not the entire Bible. This chapter is about a priest king, a better one. Honestly, it's all about Jesus, but it's a comparison of Jesus to a man who lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. This letter, you'll remember, is written to Jews. Jews in the first century, probably about 67 or 68 AD, who were living in some suburb of Rome. They had received Jesus as their Messiah. They were Christians, but persecution had broken out. Nero was the emperor of Rome, and he was murdering Christians. And for the Jew who had received Jesus as Messiah, there was a temptation to step back into Judaism and leave the whole Messiah thing to rest. That's what our author is trying to deal with. He's trying to encourage them not to go back to the law. It's difficult for Jews today, but nothing like it was in the first century, because at this time, the temple was still standing. And every morning at 9 o'clock and every afternoon at 3 o'clock, the morning and evening sacrifices were being done by a priest of the order of Aaron, of Levi, the family, the tribe of Levi. And so the yearly sacrifices were going on, yearly being Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the priesthood seemed to be alive and well, not very far from Rome, in Jerusalem. But they couldn't see what we know in hindsight that Titus, the Roman general, would come down and completely destroy the temple and the entire city of Jerusalem, and the sacrifices would stop completely. And for 2,000 years, the sacrifices have not gone on. But they couldn't see that, and they're thinking, well, we'll just become Jews again. We'll go back to synagogue. Nobody will even notice, and we'll get out of persecution. So this chapter, I said, is a comparison it's a comparison between a priest who lived 2000 B.C., the first priest that's mentioned in the Bible, his name Melchizedek, and the priest king, not the term we normally use when we think about Jesus, but Jesus Christ, our high priest, who is a king and prophet and God in heaven. The comparison wasn't easy to see in the first centuries, easier for us to look back on and see today. Now, most of us recognize the name of Rembrandt, Dutch master, 1600s. Rembrandt, he was a very gifted painter, and two of his most famous paintings are of a woman, the same character done two years apart, 1644. The first painting was Crescia, who, not very well known to us, but for the Roman Empire, she was the most famous woman ever. She committed suicide as an act of civil disobedience against the king that would bring down the Roman Empire and turn it into a republic. She had been 
raped by the king's son, and she did it as an act of protest, and it caught on. So this picture was 1646, and 1644 was that first picture of her committing suicide. What a happy thought, all right? But I want you to see that for 300 years, nobody saw both of these pictures. When Rembrandt finished the first one, it was bought by a collector and put in a private collection, and he didn't show it to anybody. And the second one went also to a private collector. There were no museums, no places to go and see works of art like there are today. And for 300 years, nobody saw both pictures. Well, I submit to you that's a little bit of an insight into what's going on with Melchizedek and Jesus. Nobody saw for 2,000 years that Melchizedek had been set by God into the pages of history, and then God manipulates history all the way down to Jesus so that these people who received this letter in 68, 67, could look back and say, oh, that's what's going on. And you and I, another 2,000 years later, can look and go, here's a comparison. Here's a comparison of Jesus. Here's Rembrandt's picture of Jesus, kind of famous. But then he did another one of the person. This is actually Paul Revere's version, which is better. On the right is Melchizedek, according to him. On the left is Abraham, meeting together. And that's the basis of the comparison that we're looking at in this chapter of Hebrews, chapter 7. Took a long time to get there. But I got to give you a little bit more because the writer assumes the people who received this letter knew the Old Testament forward and backward. The entire thing was crystal clear to them. So what's the backstory? Abraham has a nephew named Lot, and both of their families are blessed, and they're standing on the edge looking down at the Syrophoenician Rift, the, the Jordan Valley. And Abraham says, pick a direction. Wherever you go, the, the land can't support all our herds and people. So wherever you go, I'll go the opposite way and we'll separate so everyone will do well. And it says, Lot lifted his eyes and he saw Sodom afar off. And it was green and it was beautiful and there was water. And he said, I'll take that. There's a lesson in here for us about being careful about what our eyes sees that we want, that we think would be good for us. Doesn't say check with God, never prayed about it. Just said, that looks good, I'll take it. Pastor Ed Ray, underscoring Lot's example as one not to follow. This is Grow in Grace. Now with part two of today's lesson and more of Lot's story. Once again, here's Pastor Ed. He moves towards Sodom, it says, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And it's a metaphor, a picture of him saying, that's what my life is going to be. I'm going to go there. That's what's important to me. Wrong priorities. Then it says he moved into Sodom. And then it says he sat in the gate, which is where the leaders of the city sit in judgment and hear cases. So it's in this city he's living. His family's being affected by it. We read later. But at this point in history... Five kings come from the east, and they're from Iran, Iraq, and Syria. Huh, seems to me I read about that last week. 
So these five kings come down and they go through the Middle East pillaging as they go. And they sweep up the entire city of Sodom, including Lot, and head up towards Damascus. Well, Abraham gets a messenger who comes to him and says, your nephew's been captured. And Abraham takes his men, 318 men, all of his family, it says, big family, several generations by this time. He's 75 years old. And he heads after him. He chases them all the way to Damascus, and he catches them just outside the city of Damascus. God gives him favor. He defeats the five kings. Not only does he defeat them, he gets his nephew back, the entire family. No one's hurt, but a whole bunch of booty, a whole bunch of material things that they had taken moving through the Middle East. He comes back down, comes through the northern part of Israel, today called Dan. Those of you that have been to Israel with us, You need to go to Israel. Just a little commercial here. It will make the Bible come alive to you. We're going again this spring. I don't care who you go with. You just need to go to Israel as a believer. It will change your view, give you something to hold in your mind when you're reading about Jesus walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee. You know, I stood right there. I saw that kind of thing. So if you go to Israel and you go to Dan, We stop and look at the 4,000-year-old mud gate of the city of Laish, which is in this area called Dan. It's the very self-same gate that Abraham came through on his way down to Jerusalem. 4,000 years old. Genesis 14, verse 18. He's coming with Lot and all the people and all the booty. And Melchizedek, king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest, the Kohen, first mentioned in the Bible, of the Most High God, El Elyon, the highest of the high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Melchizedek is blessing Abraham. He said, We serve the same God, the Most High God. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hands and gave him tithes of all. Abraham gave to Melchizedek part of the spoils. So that's the setup for this chapter. We'll move through it rather quickly. It's an argument that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek and far superior to the Levitical priesthood, the priests who were at that moment serving in Jerusalem. right? He wants us to see Jesus, and that should be our prayer. We would see Jesus, just like those Greeks that came to Jesus. We want to see him here this morning. This section breaks up into three parts. Priest, King, Eternal, Jesus, 1 through 11. The change of the law. The law, the Mosaic law, the Sinai law, has been changed, 12 through 18. And then this statement that really is a summary of the entire book of Hebrews, Draw Near to God. He wants to have a closer relationship with all of us, everyone in this room. Here we go. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returned from the slaughter. He was returning from the slaughter of these kings, five kings, and he blessed him. So notice, first of all, that Melchizedek is both the king and he is a priest, which is unusual. King David was a king and a prophet, but he wasn't a priest. He wasn't able to go before the altar. So the word priest means a bridge builder, 
and he is a builder of bridges between God Most High and sinful man. So we all need a priest. We have one. He's an eternal one. That's where this is going. Who met Abraham returning. Abraham's coming back. The story I told you, priest of the Most High God. He does it for God, and he blessed him. The friend of God, the father of the Hebrews, the first Jew, acknowledges the priest Melchizedek's superiority over him. What's going on here? This priest is not a Jew. He is in Jerusalem, about the Jewish, most Jewish city on the planet. And he serves the same God Abraham does. And he brings out communion. There's some interesting things that God has done to set this up for you and I to understand it here this morning for the last 4,000 years. God is a very careful constructor of history, and he doesn't want us to miss anything. So 4,000 years ago, Abraham's coming back, and all of a sudden, this priest comes out from Salem that would become Jerusalem, city of peace, not so much today, and bring communion to Abraham. Bread and wine, the first mention of communion in the Bible. So God is saying, this is a priest who didn't come through the Jewish lines because Abraham's the first Jew and he's older. Melchizedek is quite a bit older than Abraham at this time. Verse two, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, a tithe, being first translated king of righteousness, Melech is king, Zedek is righteousness, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, from which the Jews today get the word shalom, to which Arabs get salim, peace, the king of peace. He was a king of rightness, perfection, perfect before God, and he was a king of peace. So, the picture here is one of a very special man. How special? Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, Jesus, and remains a priest continually. Melchizedek remains a priest? No, a lot of argument about this, but it's Jesus, the Son of God, who remains a priest continually forever. Otherwise, we'd have two high priests in heaven. It says there's only one. His name is Jesus. Now, Melchizedek is this mysterious guy that different groups have tried to hijack. If you were into Gnosticism, you know, Da Vinci Code, then Melchizedek would be the spirit being. He would be this person who was like an avatar, and he had a special connection. He'd reached an attainment, godlike. Wrong answer. If you were a Mormon and you're a male, you would belong to the priesthood of Melchizedek, and they have a special ring, and Mormons put a lot of stake in him and say that he was an angel. Wrong answer. So who is this Melchizedek? I've heard it taught many times that he is a pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany or theophany. I don't believe so, nor do some of the best Bible scholars over the last 200 years. Here's A.T. Robinson, famous Greek scholar. He says, Melchizedek is not to be understood as a miraculous being without birth or death. Melchizedek has been made more mysterious than he really is. 
by reading into the interpretation things that are not there. When it says he had neither beginning nor end, an early Christian historian, Ignatius, said that he was, in fact, an angel, another heresy. Theodius II, in the second century, said that he was someone who uh, appeared to Abraham, but he was really Jesus. He appeared as a priest. Not the right answer. What do the Jews say? The Jews say that Melchizedek was Shem, the son of Noah. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying if you look at the Mishnah and the Talmud, Jewish rabbis say in three different places that Melchizedek was the son of Noah. Well, pastor, that'd make him real old. Yeah, about 500 years old. <laughs> and Abraham is 75 at the time. You don't really believe he was 500 years old. Yeah, I do. That's what Scripture says. After the flood, people lived to be 120 more or less. But before it, there was some sort of unusual atmosphere, I believe. That's what it says happened during the flood, that the atmosphere deteriorated. What if we were living in 100% oxygen? Hmm, what would happen? No bacteria no virus. They can't exist. In the laboratory, we decrease the O2 and add CO2 to it so we can grow bugs, so we can identify them and put them against antibiotics. So something happened. I don't know if this is Noah's son, but he is human because you couldn't be a priest unless you were human. So you don't have to agree with me, I said. But when we get to heaven together, I'm going to be an I told you so, and you will hate to have been wrong. So study it and uh, see what you find. Whoever he was, he was a human being. His father is not mentioned. His mother is not mentioned. His birth and his death are not mentioned, which is unusual in the book of genealogies, which is Genesis, the beginnings. Why? God set it up. This is a setup by God, so he would look like Jesus, who really had no beginning and has no end. And his gift to us is eternal life. So God has gone to great lengths to make sure we had a picture, a type, an illustration, a model of who Jesus is. But for a second reason, so that when we look at this and see how amazing it is that God set this whole thing up more than 4,000 years ago, and we face a problem tomorrow on Monday, we don't say, oh, it's too big for God. No, if God is able, if nothing is impossible for God, then whatever you face next week, next month, next year, God can handle. He's been setting up history for 4,000 years. There are no coincidences in a believer's life. There are only God incidences. Well, pastor, they're not all good. They don't look all good at first, but later, we'll thank him for it. Even the hard times make us strong. So there's an embedded story here about the faithfulness of God to you in your personal life and what he's able to do for you. You struggling right now? You're in the right place. This is the God who controls history all of history. Aren't you glad? Indeed. A comforting truth Pastor Ed Ray concludes with today on Grow in Grace. Our God is in charge and working all things together for good to those who love him. You can listen to this program again on our website at thepackinghouse.org. 
We can also send you a CD copy. For this and other Christ-centered resources, go online to thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. At Grow in Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word from Genesis to Revelation so that nothing is left out. We're grateful to the Lord when we hear of men and women that are growing in grace as a result of listening. And if that's happening in your life, would you please let us know? As this study of Hebrews continues, we want to hear from you. Email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And we'd also very much appreciate your financial support. Lives are being impacted, people are growing in grace, and your gifts help to make this possible. When you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made the headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark a passion in your life to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount, so call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your 